Good evening. It's really good to be back together tonight. Um, so as Danny was praying right before the service, uh, I really felt God's presence. Um, and he said something. He said, just feel like at this point in the retreat, there's a weight and there's people with questions and there is stuff just kind of stirring. And I felt God really wanting to address that and uh, asked me to do my talks out of order. So I'm doing tomorrow's talk right now, and I've had about five minutes to wrap my head around that. So um, we're going to trust the Lord tonight. Um, so first one housekeeping item, if they, oh, they're good. Um, yep, we'll get there in just a second. Um, we're going to pray first. Father, thank you that you are here with us tonight. Lord, thank you that you are the God who is with us, who never leaves us and never forsakes us. You're the God who sees us completely, knows everything about us, and loves us. God, we ask that you would meet with us tonight. Holy Spirit, would you fill this room? Would you guide my words? Would you help what is from you to land and bear fruit? God, we give this time to you. I give this time to you in faith and ask that you would accomplish what you want to. Apart from you, Lord, I can't do it. But through you, all things are possible. So take this time, Lord, and have your way. Amen. So guys, we've looked at the big story of the Bible. We saw that God is good, that he's on a mission to fill the earth with his image, with the glory and goodness of who he is that he's covenantal, that he joins himself to people in order to accomplish that. And he's given us the great mandate to go into the, all the world and exercise righteous dominion over it, making broccoli and poodles and iPhones and art and music and all of the delicious food, all the wonderful things that he has hidden in creation to draw out that capacity and display who he is. He's given us the great commandment to love one another because he is love and nothing images him better than love. So we're to love God by obeying him, hearing him, following him, doing what is in his best interest. And we're to love those around us, not self selfishly seeking our own best interest, but selflessly seeking the best interest of others. And then we're called to participate in the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, other people who can bring God's presence, display God's nature on earth to those around them. And the talk I was going to give right now is kind of like a rubber meets the road talk about looking at methods and means of, of doing that. 
because we saw that hastening the day of the Lord and participating in his mission is both in the world, doing stuff, helping people to meet him and know him and follow him, but it is also a work in our own heart, in a work in our own life in personally encountering him and being transformed by who he is. And so I designed it all cool to go like macro down to micro and end with it in our hearts, but I really feel like God wants to address our hearts tonight. And I want to partner with what God wants to do. So that's what we're doing. Uh, Holiness is a really challenging thing to preach on because in a lot of church traditions, the idea of holiness comes with baggage. It basically, you put holiness up on a slide and it just reads guilt. And that is not our intention tonight. It's not what we're going to do. Because as one of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard says, guilt is not a profitable motivation for the Christian life. (laughs) Romans tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus' work on the cross is actually effective to cover all our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness when we confess our sins. So holiness is not primarily about salvation, but holiness is about his big mission. Because if he desires the earth to be filled with his image when we're not living in accordance with his character and we're not displaying that, then it's not accomplishing the mission very well. If we're bitter and if we're stuck in sin and if we're harming people around us, then we're not displaying and imaging our creator. And as we looked at the Old Testament, we saw that all throughout all those covenants, people, God covenanted himself, he gave them a mission, and they failed. Adam and Eve failed. Noah's descendants failed. The Abraham's family failed. The nation of Israel failed. The kings of Israel failed. But God did not fail and was faithful and came with his son, in his son, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, came to fulfill the broken covenants, but also to make it possible for us in the new covenant reality to no longer be slaves to sin. He's made it possible for us to be liberated from the yoke of slavery, no longer being dominated by the forces of evil in this world, making it possible for us to live from our new nature in Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you guys, but holiness is hard. Any of us who have attempted the Christian life 
can realize that the teachings of Jesus and the way of the cross and the way of the Christian life is not intuitive and it's not the way of the world and it's not particularly easy to bless those who curse us, to love our enemy, to give up our life for our friends, to prioritize God's calling over our preferences. It's not easy to fight against temptation, to fight against our flesh, to not give in to temptation. It's not easy. It's hard. But, and he says, the way is narrow and the path is hard that leads to life. But he also says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're left with this paradox of why does it seem so hard to live a life imaging our creator? And why does he say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? And we're going to investigate that here today. Yeah, whatever. We're not going to do that verse. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're flexible tonight. Uh, basically, it just is Peter saying, uh, well, God saying, be holy for I am holy. You know what? We'll, we'll do it. We're going to do it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, and set all of your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your contact. For it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And just want to point out one thing here is it's, I have a laser pointer. I just figured that out. I'm really excited. It says, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. So holiness is hard, but Jesus is the answer. Uh, Peter 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guys, we are born into, invited into a living hope. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, but he was resurrected from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, and he is alive. He is alive right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is alive right now in this room, and he is alive right now if you belong to Jesus inside of you. The hope that we have is not a distant hope. It's not a disembodied hope. It's not a, a real far off small hope that maybe we can attain eventually one day. We have a hope that is alive and active today. A hope that promises to never leave you and never forsake you. A hope that is real in Jesus Christ. 
And then 13 was a verse I read a minute ago. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. So we set all of our hope on Jesus, our living hope. Our hope isn't Jesus plus my ability to overcome sin in my own life. It's not my hope is in Jesus and my ability to get it right. It's not hope in Jesus and the great capacity in which he trusted me. Our hope, we're called to set our hope completely on Jesus. And you have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living, enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and the glory of the flower, of, uh, like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord endures forever, and the Word is the good news that was announced to you. It is enduring and eternal. Our hope in Jesus is not perishable. It doesn't fade. It doesn't wear out. Jesus isn't, you know, going to disappear. He is eternal and will bring about His purposes. Jesus is the answer to the hard journey of holiness. And sometimes I think it is an unduly difficult journey because we don't understand how to access the hope and resources that are in Jesus and to apply them to the specific places of need in our lives. So we have a fun graphic, which is a tree and some roots. And I want to submit to you tonight that if there is bad fruit in your life, you're the tree, all right? If there's bad fruit in your life, there's a source for that bad fruit. Okay, if there's an area of unholiness in your life, there's a reason for that. If you haven't met Jesus yet, if you haven't given your life to him, there is nothing you can do to permanently deal with the bad fruit in your life apart from him. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the only way to the Father, he is the only all-sufficient sacrifice, he is the only one that has complete victory over death, he is the only one that has the power to break you from the chains that are holding you. It's only Jesus. But if you know Jesus, and there's still bad fruit, don't worry, you're in good company. That's all of us. But I don't know if you've tried to deal with the bad fruit in your life by plucking it off, and then it grows back. And you pluck it off, and it grows back. And you pluck it off, and it grows back. Okay? It's frustrating. So sometimes what we try to do is begin to maybe saw the branch off where that bad fruit comes. And that's changing our actions, that's changing our attitudes, that's putting an internet filter on, that's getting an accountability partner. They can all be helpful for a season, but if the root cause isn't dealt with, the branch eventually grows back. And it's not freedom. Guys, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us to be free from sin. Not just not sinning, but free from the overwhelming domination of evil in our lives. 
And so if it's not just, if you're tired of pulling the fruit off, and you've done the actions and attitudes, but you still have, are wrestling with the reality of it, I think it's because there is a bad root. There's something that is feeding the narrative in your life that is funding the bad fruit that can grow. And the good news is that we have a living hope in Jesus and that He is the answer to the problem. And so I want to talk about the five root areas that can fund bad fruit in our lives. The first one is unrepented sin. The second one is untended wounds. The third one is lies or vows. The fourth one is curses. And the fifth one is spiritual darkness or the demonic. And so we're going to look at specifically how Jesus is the answer to each of these and how we can apply His victory and His work to these specific scenarios. Because guys, you can't repent of a wound that you're carrying. You can't do it. You can't cast out your own flesh. You can't just break agreement with a wound that you have. That has to be tended. And so we want to respond rightfully to these different areas. And so we're going to look at that. So the first one is unrepented sin. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring when He is revealed like obedient children. Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, He who called you is holy. Be holy yourselves in all of your conduct. For it is written... You shall be holy as I am holy. Guys, when there is unrepented sin, what do we do? We repent. So it's not a hard one. Many of us are Christians in this room, and this is foundational for our life with Jesus. We have to deal with sin. If you're walking in unrepented sin, you have to repent of it to be free from its influence in your life. You can't be free from something that you're partnering with. It doesn't work. And so, if, 1 John 1.9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His words not in us. So, the good news here is that we all have sin to repent of. And the better news is that Jesus is faithful and He is just to forgive us. What is repentance? Is it, it's certainly saying I'm sorry, but it also means to change our mind or to turn around. So it means turn from the sin. Say, God, I am sorry. This was a sin. We recognize it. This was a sin. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And would you help me to not walk in it anymore? And be willing to stop walking in that sin. To be willing to give it up to Him. 
See, the reality of Jesus' salvific work is that how do we be saved? We'll declare that He is Savior, the one who forgives us from our sin, but He is also our Lord, the one who directs our lives. So we are called when we repent for sin to turn around and to walk in a new direction. Guys, there's two categories of sin. Uh, there's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. Sins of commission mean you're doing something, committing something that you're not supposed to do. And sins of omission are not doing things that you're supposed to do. And sin means missing the mark. It means living less than missing the target for what God has for you. And we already learned that God is a perfectly loving and good God, so what He wants for you is good. He is not a cosmic killjoy hanging out there, holding back all of the best fruits of the world and saying, no, you cannot partake of those. He designed us and He loves us and He has outlawed certain things or required certain things of us because He knows how we're made and He loves us and He wants us to flourish. So I think there are some sins that are, uh, you know, obvious. And I think there are other sins that are less obvious. Um, unforgiveness is actually a sin. Because God tells us, you know, we have this story of uh, you know, a guy who owed another guy some money, and then the guy who he owed money to owed a king a whole bunch of money. The king forgave the guy who owed a whole bunch of money a whole bunch of money, but then he required payment from the guy that owed him a little bit of money. And so as God has forgiven us all the grievous sins of our lives, He also wants us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And sometimes we walk into an area where we've been hurt very grievously. And it seems really difficult to forgive those sins. But there is some good news that uh, at the cross, Jesus died for all sins. He has the power to forgive all sins at the cross. And oftentimes we approach the cross for the forgiveness that we need. But guys, I want to tell you something. You can also approach the cross and ask Jesus for the power to forgive those who have sinned against you. That He has all of the forgiveness. He has it all. He has paid for it all. And He can lend you the power to forgive those who have sinned against you. And so if you're struggling with forgiveness for someone, I want to encourage you to approach Jesus and ask Him for the power to forgive. Guys, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not belittling what happened to you. In fact, forgiveness, I think, dignifies what happened to you. See, to forgive someone, what we need to do is, is actually recognize what was taken. Because if a forgiveness is canceling a debt, which is what Jesus did on the cross for us. But if we're called to forgive other people, we're called to cancel the debt between us and them. And in order to cancel a debt, we have to know what it cost. And if we don't have the resources 
to cancel that debt, we can go to the Lord and ask for it. So we recognize what it cost us and we release them from that debt. Hold it of account no more. It doesn't mean that we automatically reconcile with someone. If there's abusive people or if there's you know, harmful people. Forgiveness doesn't mean you just reconciliation. The Bible tells us to be at peace with everyone insofar as it is up to you. And if reconciliation for someone that you forgive is harmful for you, don't reconcile, but forgive. Don't hold that debt. And if you don't have the resources to do it, you can go to the Lord and He will provide it. So, unconfessed sin is the first root. Because when we're partnering with something, we can't be free from it. Second thing is untended wounds. Guys, if I had a giant cut on my arm and I didn't put a Band-Aid on it and I didn't wash it, it would get infected. And it would hurt. And if it went on long enough, it could make my whole body go septic. Guys, if we have wounds that have not been tended by the Lord, they can be a source of pain and a source of bad fruit in our lives. When someone pokes it, toxic stuff can come out. Or it can cause constant pain underneath the surface. But guys, Jesus is the answer to our unconfessed sin. He is also the answer to our wounds. Jesus cares for you. He loves you. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. That He wants to tend to, care for, and cover your wounds. Isaiah 53.5 says, But He was wounded for. Surely He has borne our infirmities, He has carried our diseases, we accounted him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. That God cares about your wounds. He cares about your maladies. By his stripes we can receive healing if the source of the bad fruit in your life is an untended wound, the best thing you can do is hold that wound up to Jesus to let Him into the pain to receive His comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation, our comfort is abundant in Christ. He longs to care for you. He longs to tend to your wounds. He wants to cleanse them. He wants to hold them. He wants to enter into the pain and the trauma that you've experienced. He wants to bring himself into that. He's not scared of your woundedness. He's not scared of your neediness. He's not scared by any of it. He has the resources to enter in and begin to redeem that storyline, and he longs to do it. Guys, there's a lie that the enemy likes to give a lot of times. It says you're too wounded. You're too screwed up. You've been hurt too much. You're always going to limp. You're never going to be right in this area. But God, guys, God wants to inhabit those wounds and fill those with himself and bring redemption into that place where we have been hurt. He wants in because he loves you. And he wants to correct that marred image. Our image is marred by sin. It's marred by our own sin. But we also are marred by the sin of other people. And he wants to redeem and restore all of it. Says, behold, I'm making all things new. He wants to make those wounds new. And bring life and redemption. What the enemy intended for evil, God intends for good in the saving of many lives. And if we let him in to the most wounded places in our life, oftentimes that is the place of our greatest authority and ability to minister and to care for and to help other people. He cares for you. Like a father cares for his children. He has compassion on you for he remembers that we are from dust. He wants to lavish his love and his comfort and his care on you. So the next one is lies and vows. 1.22 says, Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you may love Have genuine mutual love. Love one another deeply from the heart. So you have purified your souls by obedience to truth. If we're not obedient to truth, what are we obedient to? There's an opposite of truth, and that is a lie. And guys, there's power in agreement. Uh, and if we agree with lies, it has an effect. So John eight forty four. it says, uh, he's talking to uh, some Pharisees that were accusing Jesus. And he, ha- he has some great words for him. He says, you are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Guys, if we're not obedient to the truth, 
and we're obedient to a lie, we are partnering with and agreeing with a lie, and a lie comes from the devil. He has invented lies. He is the father of lies. He is the author of lies. And when we come into partnership with a lie, we are accidentally coming into partnership with the enemy. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what do we do when we recognize a lie? Guys, and so like, what does this actually play out in our lives? You know, what, if, what, what is the lie that plays on repeat in your own head? I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm always going to be addicted to this. I'm never going to get free from this sin. I'm ugly. Nobody loves me. I'm always going to be alone. These are lies from hell meant to bind you, chain you to a false narrative over your life. And when you agree with a lie, it empowers that narrative in your life the power of life and death is in the tongue. So what do we do? How do we respond? How do we apply God's truth when we see a lie lurking in our lives? Well, we recognize it. That's the first step because if we don't know it's a lie, then that's a problem and you know, God will reveal it eventually. But when we recognize a lie, what we want to do is we want to reject it. Break agreement with it. Say No. That's not what is true. We want to repent of believing something crafted by the devil to counter God's mission in our life and keep us from receiving His love and His plan for our lives. We recognize it. We reject it. We repent of it. And we replace it. We ask God, what is actually true here? What is true? And the Bible is full of wonderful truths. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is for freedom that you have been set free. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are forgiven. You are cleansed of that unrighteousness. You are not defined by your past mistakes. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. And then, because the nature of lies in our lives is that oftentimes it is played on repeat for a really long time. And so it's really helpful to write down the true thing and repeat it. Till we believe it. To say it out loud. To declare the truth of God's Word over our lives. What He says is true about you. To counteract that ongoing false narrative that seeks to control your life. Unrepentant sin, wounds, lies. And now we get to the really exciting stuff, curses. First Peter 1.18. Uh, guys, what is a curse? A curse is a will for bad in your life. 
1 Peter 1.18 says, um, you know that you were ransomed from the futile ways of your ancestors. So sometimes there's patterns that go down in families. And we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, patterns that go down in families that repeat terrible narratives over and over again. A curse over a family. 3.13 says, uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So guys, Jesus is the way through curses. Let's look at this because curses are a weird thing in a Western culture. There are three different ways that curses can show up. The first, well, that I know of. Who knows if there's more? But uh, generational curses. And the way that we see generational curses is generational patterns of iniquity that are passed on generation to generation. Grandpa was an alcoholic. Dad was an alcoholic. And I'm struggling with drinking. Grandma was bitter. My mom was bitter. And I'm struggling with unforgiveness. These generational patterns that pass on that are not in line with God's kingdom or character, it's a generational curse that is passed down. And they can be broken. How do we break a generational curse? Well, the good news is that you're adopted into a new family in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus can and Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, than the blood of our ancestors. And that he became the curse for for us, He can take the curse from us and pass on the blessings of His inheritance instead. There can be word curses. I need some water. Uh, they function a whole lot like lies. But instead of something that we're just believing, it's something that's been spoken over us. A teacher said, you're never going to be successful. Or you're really stupid. Or your uncle said, man, you're a dork. Whatever it is, it can be a curse that we live under. And a lie that we begin to believe. How do we deal with word curses? Well, the Bible tells us to bless those who curse us. And so we bless them. We forgive them and we hand that curse over to Jesus and let him take it because cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. He bears the penalty of the curses. He takes them himself and gives us blessing instead. So we give him the curse and we ask him what he wants to give us instead. What is the blessing of his inheritance? The last one is witchcraft. Um, This can go two ways. There can be a curse by participating in witchcraft. If you participate in New Age, false religions, or witchcraft, there can be curses that come along with it because when you partner with demons to accomplish your purposes, there are always repercussions. Demons are not benevolent creatures that when you do hexes and curses and love potions and other things, and if you're not involved with this, it sounds kooky, but people do this, and witchcraft is on the rise in America today. And that when you use dark spiritual forces to accomplish your purposes or to protect you or to enlighten you, it always comes with a hook that costs you more than the promise of what you receive. 
And so if you've participated in witchcraft, even for novelty's sake, we have to repent of it. We have to give over every benefit, renounce every benefit that we received from our participation in it. Ask God for forgiveness for that and allow Him to break the power of that curse. We can also be the recipient of witchcraft curses. Witches will oftentimes curse church leaders in their city and other things and do blood sacrifices and all sorts of things to try to wreak havoc on the people of God or on their enemies or whatever. And so the same good news applies here is that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of bulls or goats. It speaks a better word than the blood sacrifice conducted against people. And so we bless those who curse us. We place Jesus between us and the curse. We allow Him to bear the penalty of the curse and release His blessings over us. So curses can be a source of bad fruit in our lives. And the last one is spiritual evil or demonic influences. 1 Peter 2.9 says, and... Oh, nope, that's Galatians. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And Galatians 5.1 It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not return to a yoke of slavery. Guys, we've been set free. God has made it possible for us to be called out of darkness and called out of slavery to that darkness. Um, it sounds weird to talk about demonic influence or demons in a Western culture, just like it feels weird to talk about witchcraft because we don't collectively have a particularly spiritual worldview. But guys, there is supernatural evil in the world. When you read the Gospels, you realize that a huge majority of Jesus' miracles was liberating people from spiritual evil. And how do we recognize spiritual evil as a component of what's happening in our own struggles or the struggle of someone else? Sometimes it's e easy when it's just really insane, but sometimes it's less easy. And I like to have people look at areas where there is a supernatural component to what they're dealing with. So an example is if uh, in high school I blew my knee out and... Uh, it hurts. When I walk up the stairs, it hurts. And sometimes when I walk up the stairs, it always hurts when I walk up the stairs. And sometimes I'll trip and fall. That's a wound, right? And that's causing the pain. But if randomly when I'm walking up the stairs, there's a gust of wind that blows me head over heels and I come crashing down and it is hard to anticipate or it just seems weird or random, there is a spiritual force behind that. If you have uh, uh, sleep paralysis or incredibly dark dreams, if sometimes there is just a force that seems to just crush you with something, 
That can be spiritual evil that is influencing you. And the good news is that Jesus has set us free, that Jesus is in the place of preeminent authority in the whole universe. That Jesus is seated in heavenly places over every ruler, every authority, every demonic force, everything. And so we look for his authority to cast away the demonic influence. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil and he will flee from us. So encourage you, if that's something you're dealing with, to receive prayer for you to be liberated from that malady. Um, my slide's messed up. But uh, this is a principle of how to, how to proceed. How do we do this? Right? We, we had just got all this knowledge about different roots and different things that could be causing problems in our life, and we see how Jesus is the answer. So there might be a temptation to get out a fine tooth comb and begin to pick through every circumstance and everything in your life and everything that's ever happened and like begin to super analyze it and get overwhelmed by uh, you know, your whole life experience. And I want to encourage you not to do that, but instead to Psalm 139 it, which is, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You're not responsible for your own sanctification. You're not responsible to fix every problem in your life. You have a Savior who loves you and who cares for you and who is active in your life. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord. So our job is not to turn in on ourselves and look for every possible problem that is there, but it is to turn to God, to allow the Spirit to search your heart, to allow Him to work through you and bring up whatever it is that He wants to deal with. And He might end up dealing with things that you don't expect. When I uh, first really encountered God, I was just like, Lord, I will do anything for you. I was having these powerful times of prayer, these powerful spiritual experiences, and I'm like, God, anything. I am yours, anything. And the first thing that he said, and this is going to age me, date me, the first thing he said is, you need to throw away all those DVDs you burned from the library. And I was like, What? Like, I'm ready to lay my life down in mission for you. I'm ready to do anything. And he's like, throw away those stolen DVDs. And I was like, okay, fine. Because when we submit our hearts to God and we let him lead, he's going to deal with the stuff that he wants to deal with. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows your circumstance. The goal is not to conform our lives to some image of a perfect Christian that we have. Our goal is intimacy with our Father, intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with Holy Spirit, and to allow him to actually be the Lord and leader of our life. Not using him to deal with a particular malady that we're annoyed with, but submitting our whole lives to him and saying, Lord, I am yours. Search me, know me, work in me, do whatever you want to do. And he will be faithful. 
He will accomplish the good work that He began in you. He will do it incrementally, and He will do it over your lifetime, but He will radically transform who you are more and more into His image. And I share all this to help you to know that when He brings something up, How do we respond? What is the essence of discipleship? It is hearing and responding to Jesus. So we want to, as we hear Him, as He brings things to mind, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of an area of sin, as He brings to mind someone we need to forgive, as He brings to mind a wound that He wants to deal with, our job is to rightly respond. And so if it's a wound that comes up, we don't need to repent for the wound. We need to receive His healing for the wound. We just want to rightly respond to Him as the Spirit searches us. And guys, again, here's the main thing. It is that Jesus is our living hope. He is our Savior. He loves us deeply. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the source of our forgiveness. He's the source of our healing. He is truth Himself. He is the one who became the curse for us. He is the one who has all the authority, is the one who can break the chains that bind us. It is all about Jesus. And He is alive. And He loves you. So with that, we're going to give, uh, have the band come back up. I'm going to pray for us. But we also wanted the opportunity that if you want prayer specifically for something, because this touches on all sorts of weighty stuff. If you want prayer for something, the Encounter staff's available to pray for you. I'm available to pray for you. During this, you're welcome to receive prayer. And Ben has a word and is going to lead us in communion. Man, and thank you for indulging my switch. Thank you so much.